0: Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is C.M. Alexander with the news. Our heartfelt congratulations to the news on the birth of their first something. Sometime last night, the news opened the locked filing cabinet where we'd been saving it. We arrived this morning to find the drawer's bottom littered with thin, silverish membranes, contorting themselves into a spiral, leading ever inward until terminating, pressed against itself, until... Oh, hey guys! False alarm! It just knocked over the paper clips. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I am one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham.
1: Hello, constant readers.
0: And today, we are continuing our Patreon selection from Elizabeth Trudow of From a Buick 8, where we are covering Through Now Sandy. If you are following along, and if not, major spoilers ahead, Josh is going to be leading our discussion. And just a disclaimer, our audio might sound kind of extra special because we are recording remotely due to COVID.
1: Oh. <laughs> I I am getting nervous, y'all. It is... <laughs> It was Josh's turn and now it's Sam's turn. <laughs> That's, it's looking bad for me. Uh, cause a wheel then. <laughs> <Just> <laughs>
2: comes around. Uh, oh god, I'm I'm so sad we can't be doing this episode together because I'm so fucking pumped about this section of this book. Because it's just more of that unanswerable question insanity that I've been loving <laughs> out of this book.
1: I feel so similarly to the first time I read Revival, where I, I feel this like uh, it's just a bunch of people sitting around, and I'm like, "It." I want it to get to what I know is inevitable. <laughs> I know <laughs> something terrible is coming, but it's it's uh there's so much mundane stuff. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it yet. I'm
2: glad you brought that up because some of the like mundane thing is something I want to talk about a bit later because it feels there's an important part mm-hmm. of it. Same, yeah, I agree.
0: It's like sitting around a campfire listening to a ghost story.
2: Yeah, except for it's broad daylight behind a police station.
0: Yeah, but the things like <laughs> but just the vibe. Look, Yeah, looking back in the past, <laughs> and then some people mm-hmm. aren't there to tell it, and then everybody's taking turns. It's kind of
2: cool. <laughs> when they uh, when they bring it back to the present and you're reminded that they're all just like sitting around a smoker's bench outside, like I completely forget every single time because I'm so drawn into the story. Uh, Alright, so quick recap, Troop D state troopers in Pennsylvania took possession of a Buick 54 Roadmaster but it's not a 54, it's not a Roadmaster, and it's certainly not a Buick. And... One of the officers, it, it turned into jelly, and now they're telling his dad or telling this kid all about his dad.
0: Wait, what? Right? Yeah. <laughs> One of the Wait, uh, you who just turned segued. into jelly? Kurt. He got hit by a Kurt. truck, though. You made it sound oh, like
2: <laughs> he go. Um, the way it's described later, that boy got turned into jelly. Yeah,
0: I didn't think they could further <laughs> describe the horror of his accident and make it worse <laughs> than it, it did. At least they
1: didn't do it out loud to Ned. Yeah. <laughs> the brief description of what happens to Kurt parallels the horror of the things that come out of the car, I think. Yep. Yeah. The thing I'm most excited to talk about is what the car represents.
0: The mist. Fuck. We're just reading uh. the the rest of the mist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a door. <laughs> things are coming through.
2: All right, let's jump into it. And we're going to pick things off with a new narrator. Sandy passes the story to Arky and Huddy for a first-hand account of this birth that we alluded to in the last episode. First thing that jumped off to me about switching to Arky is that almost immediately he has the same thought about Ned that Sandy's been having, which is, first, the kid's not going to believe what I have to say. And second everything about this kid reminds me of his dad. Mm. And I thought that was very cool. Uh, We haven't talked about Arky. Uh, Would any of you, either of you like to
1: explain who Arky is in relation to troop D? Arky is fucking weirdo. He's, (laughs) he's the uh, troops janitor right yeah. mm-hmm. he's he's the like groundskeeper and does stuff around the the barracks but he is he, he thinks like a cop and he thinks of himself as a police like he sees something at one point and is like oh i should go tell the cops that immediately <laughs> and that sucks uh <laughs> Except for he says it with pride, Ben. Yeah, that makes it worse. Uh, Anyway, that's my own reading of it. (laughs) He's also like this weird comic relief character, Mm -hmm. because especially in the like now sections, because he's red with this goofy accent, and he's (laughs) constantly the character that's like cracking little jokes for no reason. Like, uh, what is it? He says he took some girl up on the bluffs. But that might have been last section. I liked it doesn't that matter.
0: Joke, though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he ends it by basically going waka waka waka. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, man, he's, you're he's fuzzy. You're a character. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. So he they, they say that the gray wears off on him. Is, is kind of how mm. it's described. And he happened to look into Shedby and notice, uh, hey, the trunk's open and the thermometer is warmer than yesterday. And someone left a pile of rags on the floor. Mm -hmm. Cut to Arky trying not to vomit while he's standing next to (laughs) Huddy.
1: I was so excited by this because the way it is glossed over. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time we see it, because it is Arky, he sees this pile of rags and he's like, that's not a pile of rags. <laughs> and then he is running out of the room. And I thought, that's so amazing that they are not, I was so excited when I thought they were not even going to bother <laughs> trying to explain what this thing looks like. I, I was really excited when they were just like, there was a thing, it's so awful that we have to talk about something else now.
2: <laughs> I love that the only way they can describe it is goddamn different. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so they they get in, Arky and Huddy decide to go in and it is, for all intents and purposes, they just start calling it a bat thing because it's got some bat-like characteristic but it has also a a beak, maybe, or a, some kind of different nose. Very, very gross. But Arky, as the true hero of this, this adventure, does the only rational thing, pokes it with a stick.
0: You have to. <laughs> which
2: leads to the, man, I've never referred to an eye-opening as an unfurling, mm-hmm. but it really is the unfurling of an eyeball. Because it... Mm. The way I just
0: love the way he's like
2: the eye it, it was an eyeball. It opened and then it kept opening and it was the whole top of the the head.
0: The words that are paired together to describe this and other things is very gross. <laughs> I actually <laughs> had to pause the description when they start dissecting it in a little bit because mm. I was cooking dinner. And I just started to <laughs> oh, feel yeah. upset. Oh, oh, that's so
1: gross! <laughs> it,
0: it was perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a couple segments in this in this section of the book that are actively disgusting.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's weird. It, I don't know. It feels. I keep wanting to compare it to The Mist, and I'm trying to figure out is that because we just finished
1: just reading it.
0: that, or is it because there is so much here that just the, the way the creatures are so upsettingly described remind me of the creatures that came out of the arrowhead project. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I I, I, th- th- I think these creatures, they do a better job um, at getting across the point of like, cause in, in the mist they were spiders, right? Like right. In, in, they were like, they're not quite spiders. They had way more legs, but it, It puts that in your mind. This does kind of the same thing where like, we're calling it a bat because it's the only language we have (laughs) for it. But it is, it is different. I I like the way they say it's different. The way spiders are different. Like you look at it and you don't understand how they can live. (laughs) (laughs) I I really like that. It's upsetting is what it is. (laughs) They call in
2: reinforcements, Tony and Sandy, and they end up going in there to collect evidence and discuss theories about this creature. Uh, guys, what do you? Let's talk about the evidence they find. The first, the thermometer back up at seventy, and the the green smudges were an interesting clue. <laughs> um, what do you guys think of the conclusion drawn by the green smudges they find on the walls?
0: That are you talking about where they? Th- they say that it probably yeah. flew out of the trunk and then was just ramming into the walls trying to get out. What if it had gotten out? Seriously, what would have happened?
1: It would have died, and oh, they would have found it.
0: We'd have a cryptid.
1: Hmm. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Depends on how far <laughs> yeah it went, I guess.
0: Yeah,
1: it'd be like the, those pictures of the the creature that washed up on the beach, but it's just a raccoon without any skin. Oh, oh. yeah. Gross. No, I think this part's kind of funny because it shows (laughs) how completely unequipped these cops are to deal with this. Mm -hmm. Because they go in and they're like, we're gonna collect evidence. Hilarious. (laughs) Uh, And then they do cop work. They're like, yeah, we've uh, due to these green smudges on the like wall uh, across from the Uh, the trunk we can assume it blasted out of the trunk hit the wall and bounced off kind of like rolled around for a little while i guess but that's it's it's funny to me how that of course that's all they have because this thing defies any further categorization any like the cops of course all they can do is ballistic work it's the only thing <laughs> mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to add to this mystery.
0: So they refuse to hand it over to the scientists who could actually study it and know what they're looking at.
1: It makes me so goddamn angry.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like that once they're outside the shed, though, the thought dawns on them. If if that thing came here, did Ennis Rafferty go oh, where the bat came from?
0: That really just got in my head and then took off in a very unsettling way just thinking about if that's a thing from a place (laughs) there are probably other things worse than that bigger than that more upsetting and based on what happens to everything that comes over which we find out more about in a little bit what happened to did like he suffocate did he disintegrate like what what was the atmosphere over there doing to him
2: yeah, the poison air theory feels mm. probably the most plausible. Yeah, if he's to me. lucky. <laughs> oh
0: yeah,
2: God! Right. Can you
0: imagine if you survived that? You would have to find things to eat.
2: Oh no! <laughs> oh God uh, no!
0: Oh, and the world probably smells like cabbage and peppermint. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's yeah, a, that's what a, a smell terrible I don't combination!
1: <laughs> oh. I want to smell it, but I don't want to smell smell it. Uh, Can can we get a, if (laughs) anyone in the audience knows any custom candle makers. Oh no, no. no, don't. (laughs) uh, Make that and then throw it directly in the garbage
0: (laughs) because I don't want to smell it.
1: (laughs) Send it to me. I'll smell it then throw
2: it in the garbage. So they've taken this evidence. They're setting up a makeshift evidence locker and Sandy, Curtis and Tony are the only ones with the access because they are now in charge of this investigation. Why do you think that they that Tony brings Sandy into the inner circle of this?
0: I assumed it was because Tony is grooming Sandy to take his place when he retires. Yeah. And the I don't know if we've talked about this or if this is more in this section, but we definitely do get a lot of thoughts about how Tony and Curtis are kind of taken with the Buick, like of anybody, they're the two most focused, I don't, I don't know if I'd say obsessed for Tony, more so Kurt, and Sandy is probably the most, the third most involved, but also the most clear headed. He doesn't have like this personal connection or stake in it. He's just, Mm -hmm. from what it seems like, good at his job and, you know, has a clear head, which I like. Sandy's my favorite, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it's definitely not three.
1: fucking yeah. Kurt.
0: I don't like <laughs> Kurt. I'm sorry. Can we just talk about no, it a second? I don't like him.
1: <laughs> I, I hate Kurt, which is interesting because, like, Sandy kind of turns on uh the kid in the Ned. present. Yeah. yeah. The more the kid starts to act like Kurt, the more angry Sandy gets, right? Yeah, yeah he,
0: he starts to act kind of entitled. And, mm-hmm. and there's a really cool section later about how Sandy says that Kurt at least had the uniform to keep him grounded and to provide context for what's happening, which is extremely important in the story. And Ned doesn't have that to keep him in reality.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's around the same moment when he talks about how much he respected Kurt because Kurt liked his job more than his family.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fucking <laughs> me. <meat. laughs> Fucking me.
0: Is this the part where he was saying it would be better if this was like a sort of a rite of passage where he'd have to go on some Ned would have to go on some quest and do something yeah. to symbolize his entry into manhood. But nowadays, it's more about how you feel about things, which I found really interesting. And I, um, I maybe you guys can pull this. My COVID brain sucks, but there's a part a little later because it's like he's he's almost criticizing the way the world is at that time where you're more focused on what people feel and think about situations. But then later in the book, it's interesting. Sandy kind of does that himself he he takes more of a feeling stance on things and I just thought that that was an interesting reflection where he criticized it and later he was sort of embodying that same philosophy
2: and it tracks because he says after he says that that's how the world is now he says I hate it and Mm -hmm. you can kind of feel that he hates doing it when he does
0: yeah that's cool
2: let's get back to Kurt since we love talking about him (laughs) He was not there for this. They're all assuming he's going to be pissed, but he shows up and he is beyond excited. He's too excited to be pissed off. And I want to know if you guys have any thoughts on the first question he asked after being caught up, which was, where was Mr. Dylan?
0: I hadn't thought about that, Hmm. but my first reaction is leave Mr. Dylan alone, please. (laughs) I I assume he's looking at him as like a, a warning bell or wondering... Um, if he maybe did he think that he got a hold of the bat?
2: I, I don't know. I'm wondering if because they're still grasping for clues, if they were if he was hoping maybe there was some information to glean from Mr. Dylan's reaction, but that's that's the closest I can think of.
0: Because he usually has he usually has that reaction of trying to get to the shed when the mm-hmm. panic is doing things mm-hmm. and also being terrified. Like that's the last thing Mr. Dylan wants to do. <laughs> yeah. You, I'd
1: like to believe that he was asking for the dog's safety because we are given absolutely no reason to believe that <laughs> Kurt gives a shit about anyone's safety, his own other people's. He only cares about more information about this car That he's never going to get.
0: Even though he's not equipped to get that information, because he is a police officer, not a scientist.
1: (laughs) This is my biggest problem with with Kurt, is there's a, and this is jumping ahead, I'm sure, uh, there's a section where he is very close to getting into a fist fight with Sandy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they get past it, uh, but he... uh, Kurt basically throws his arms up in the air and goes, when are we going to figure out the answers about this car? What are you expecting? (laughs) What what is it that Kurt is thinking is going to happen?
0: I have to, again, because I had this thought so often reading this section, that it has to be some sort of magnetic pull that, wipes your brain clear of any reasoning that explains part of why these guys are hanging on to this thing when when they really do want answers and there would be a better way to get those answers. Kind of like we talked about the first yeah. episode, the pet cemetery, the pull mm-hmm. that that has, even though you know mm-hmm. better, you still behave that way. That's the only explanation I can well, think yeah.
1: of. Well, it's like the 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 running theme that really drives me insane. The curiosity killed the cat. satisfaction brought (laughs) it back the thing that is causing them to be attracted to this car is just human nature it's curiosity Mm. it's this kurt is curiosity taken to the extreme right and the book is arguing that that's bad i guess I think the which is arguing that, that is not anti-science. <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it just drives me crazy. It's I don't understand what Kurt thinks is going to happen that will finally make these things that are beyond human reason make sense. It, it, I it feels like Kurt is waiting for the trunk to open and a guy to pop out and be <laughs> like, "So here's where I'm from." <laughs> I think kind of. I think that's kind of. He he's
2: so evidence based that that he is. I think in his mind, if he can gather enough evidence, if he can get enough information, he can solve it. Mm -hmm. I genuinely think that that it's obsession meets the having the job kind of in his DNA. Yeah. Uh, After all of this, he in in the following weeks they explore the ideas of how they could run surveillance on. Shed be since there are things like weather, visitors, other troopers. They don't want to seem suspicious. Uh, Kurt offers a great solution: a shed for the shed.
0: I like that <laughs> because there's no paper trail. Which yeah. the, the book has made a very big deal about, which I've kind of enjoyed throughout. He there's one memo, and it's to Tony. He's like, "Hey, since the raccoons have been such a nuisance in our trash cans, maybe we should build an enclosure for them." <laughs> and it's like the trash cans that Arky replaced that have like a snap lid, so that yeah. the raccoons wouldn't be a problem. And then Tony just okay's it and sends it off, and then that's what they have. And there's like a yeah. little a place in there for a trooper to sit, and oh, a, a bucket. Uh, Sam.
2: If I can pause you here uh, for a second, on the third day from the memo, the room turned out to be for three stock shelves, two garbage cans, and a state trooper watching Code D. I
1: I refuse to react to this,
0: Josh.
1: I pass. I pass.
0: He looks, listeners. Josh looks. I'm so happy myself. (laughs) Are you
1: proud of yourself? I am. Do you feel good about yourself? (laughs) So good.
2: Oh, I wrote that, and I was like gold. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling very Christmassy, guys. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> uh, yes, uh, and it, this didn't fit into the rhyme scheme. But there's also a slate board for temperatures. Mm-hmm. There's uh. Already unwrapped tapes ready to go into the video camera that's in there. Everything is mm-hmm. prepped for whoever's in there watching.
0: Oh, you know what these videotapes remind me of?
2: Is it House of Leaves?
0: No, Annihilation. Oh
2: interesting
0: yeah i was getting i think i I kept getting like mist and annihilation vibes as things are as light shows and colors and kind of the color out of space a little bit too as colors and light shows and things are happening and coming out of stuff it just gave me this like to they don't i don't think they they don't watch the tapes right or they have not yet
2: no they're they have them and there's a section a bit later where it, it the dialogue takes you from like timestamp to timestamp. And that's what was giving me House of Leaves expedition. Yeah, that too. But yeah,
0: I was getting uh, vibes of watching tapes before you yourself, like from Ned's perspective, before Mm -hmm. you yourself might go on a similar journey.
2: This uh, shed situation also uh, leads to the kind of the argument we've talked about a little bit earlier, which is, Kurt wants to do a sign-up sheet, and Tony says no. There's no paper trail. And when Kurt's venting to Sandy, they get into an argument, and Sandy says he thinks the Buick is starting to look too big to Kurt. And what, what side of that argument do you fall on? Because I gotta I kind of agree with Kurt, saying like okay, it can't be too big. It is something from another world.
1: Um, well, I, I think this is an interesting argument. It's yeah, I, I think if i were in the same situation of course it would become this enormous i, I would think about it constantly yeah um but also sandy's point um kind of goes along with what i think is maybe the most interesting part of the book which is the way something inexplicable something terrible something awful can become something mundane Mm -hmm. yeah just just from your proximity to it just from being a part of your day-to-day life they yeah they they have a little if you've ever worked a job where you just have to sit and like watch for a long period of time it is the most boring thing in the world Mm -hmm. because 98 percent of the time nothing's happening and it becomes very easy i I can imagine in that situation it would be very easy to forget what you're watching what you're watching for Mm -hmm. 98 percent of the time and uh it it parallels what sandy has to say about police work too the frequency that they deal with death, which brings me to what I was talking about earlier: the the car's death, y'all. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, the car, That's the car, really and the things that come out of it are a metaphor for dealing with de- working so closely with death and dying and violence. Um, I don't know if it's at this point where Sandy goes on this. He he talks about. All of the awful things he has seen, and all the cops have working and like road accidents, and the violence and the gore that you see working that job. But how over time, just from exposure, it just becomes something you deal with. And that's what the car is, because every once in a while, this awful thing that is so terrible that you can't think about it very hard if you think about it you'll go insane uh it, it's the the things that come out of the car
2: are are death and sometimes there are signs and sometimes there aren't and mm-hmm. sometimes signs might need lead you to think something's happening
1: and it, it mm-hmm. doesn't oh god it, that's it's good. it's It's the meaninglessness of death. its uh, I mean, what happened in the first section when Sandy's talking about how uh, Kurt's death didn't mean anything. It's just a terrible thing that happened, and you can try to reason with it. You can try to make there be meaning for it. But in the end, it's just this monstrosity that came into your life one day. Hot damn. Well, that's the end of the episode, I think, Ben. I think Mm. you cracked it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. now I'm. Uh, I'm very excited to read the rest of this book with that mm-hmm. in my head. Yeah. Let's let's jump to the uh, the next light quake. There are a few things that happen before this. Uh, we get two new characters, Jimmy and Rosalind, who are two gerbils that live in a habitat in the mm-hmm. front seat of the Buick. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love the idea. Tony lies to a
1: reporter. <laughs> <laughs> and says, this is oh, fascism. <laughs> it's I hated this. I, this drove me crazy. I'm sorry, as, I'm just ranting. As soon as he said, as soon as he described what he did as fascism, I was like, oh boy, I'm just
2: going to turn this over to
1: Ben. <laughs> it's it's wild. The, Stephen King just, like, faints at this really interesting idea that these cops... They're doing this for what they think is, you know, the greater good that turning it over to scientists, who knows what the scientists will do with this knowledge and whatever. But then by acknowledging that, like, oh, we're lying to the press. This is, this is fascist ideology. This is something cops shouldn't do. But then immediately it becomes a non-issue. They're just like, oh, well, we're, we're the good guys. We're not, I think they say, oh, this, we're not like those cops in the big cities oh, that yeah. are like oh, really boy. bad uh, c- because you know how, uh, fascism hasn't trickled down to the rural cops yet. The rural cops never do anything terrible and unspeakable, no. right? <laughs> uh, it's, it faints at this, like, I, I immediately perked up cause I was like, oh, they're gonna be like. The rest of the book is going to be where do we draw this line? Where do how far do we go in keeping this for ourselves? Nah, it is not really a concern. I don't think I they're think just like no, nah, this is what we do, and this is fine. I think Tony carries it a little bit. I think the way he describes it,
2: that the, the way it's told sounds like it's a decision that like he made, and like yeah, he made it, but he didn't want to be making it. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if that stayed with him. All right. So we have our next light quake with uh, Brian Cole, who is another officer who happened to be on hutch duty and he jumps into action like he was feeding the and watering the gerbils when he sees the glow. And so he grabs the camera And he gets everything set up, and he runs inside to tell everybody and realizes the water bottle's still in his hand. Hmm. And by this time, Kurt has gotten back, and Kurt takes the camera into his own hands. So everything we get in this beat-by-beat of timestamps is all from the footage that Kurt took. Uh, Let's talk about what's on the tape. What did you guys dig about the the details of this second lightquake? So let's talk about what is on the tape, because... It, the the excited voices, everybody is trying to like get their uh, eyes in to see it, and th- jagged bursts of lightning just start coming from the trunk. And yeah.
1: there's, there's a guy on the tape in the background that just goes, "She's pissing fire." <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so good. And when the the light show stops, the recording stops. But according to the timestamp, it was turned back on just a few minutes later, and it Kurt has a core has the cord wrapped around him that he bought. Tony is recording and he's going in to check on the gerbils. And we find out that this was like a giant fight.
0: I love this idea of the rope because that they use the rope a lot mm-hmm. and every time I think it's Sandy who will always point out we don't know if that rope is going to work we don't know if there's going to be <laughs> yep. a flash and then we'll just have an empty rope like we're, yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything it's just for their own comfort I guess with each other it, allowing, it's a placebo yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: but like we <clears> get we get the switch of Tony holding the camera and he's like shaking. He's not as good a filmmaker as <laughs> Kurt because <laughs> they they have an argument about Kurt wanting to go in there and check on things. Because the guy with the gerbil water bottle, right? He's the one who's like, oh, whoops, I forgot to put this back. We don't want to leave he's them without water. He's gives Kurt the
2: excuse that yeah, he has to go which back Kurt in.
0: jumps on mm. and Tony is so pissed about it.
2: <laughs> but he does it, man. He, he goes in. And comes back out with the habitat minus one gerbil. Jimmy has vanished.
0: He's with Ennis. Now he has a pet <laughs> wherever he is.
1: <laughs> right. Oh we should just
0: be sending him stuff like sandwiches and fresh water
1: <laughs> I love that. Is there any evidence that inanimate objects have been disappearing??
0: Mm.
1: Uh yes, later, kind of. <laughs> We'll'll we'll get we'll All get
0: to. Right, we'll right. get there. Okay.
2: <laughs> Um, now we've jumped back to the present and Eddie Jackaboy is here and Sandy is excited to see him because he knows Eddie has some stuff to tell and Eddie actually tries to leave without being a part of this and, and Sandy stops him and he's like, Hey, we're telling Ned stories about his dad. Kurt saved your ass in a shootout. You should stay.
0: I am so shocked that we didn't. Just dive into this. Just take a, a you know twenty page aside as we usually <laughs> yeah, would right? To dive into this shootout, but we don't because no. he starts to explain, and Sandy's like, "We can talk about those two assholes later. Let's continue on with the story." <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the, this is we've we've talked about this section kind of already, but this is the part where Ned asks if they ever had the talk about the big picture, and Sandy explaining. Mm-hmm that it can be mundane Mm -hmm. because it's just, it just is (laughs) the, but the, he says that the closest they ever got to discussing the big picture uh, was at this like Memorial day picnic that they all were on and stuff. They surely slips that in 88, something awful happened. So we're not quite there yet, Mm -hmm. but I'm very excited to hear about 1988, but after that, she asked Kurt what he thought the Buick was. And that's when we see that by that point, Kurt says it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. Eddie chimes up saying that Kurt told him that he thought it came from a different dimension by accident. And it's been forgotten here. And they're like, no, that's impossible. And they're like, no, uh, there are, are like nuclear weapons mm-hmm. that are hidden away. And if something happened in 200 years, I, how many of those do you think will have fallen off the map?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: which is horrifying because it's real. (laughs) Next, Phil uh, pipes up and he's like, hey, tell him about the leaves. And Sandy's like, you tell him about the leaves.
0: (laughs) I love (laughs) the leaves. (laughs) See him, tell us (laughs) about the leaves. Okay, I don't, this is so weird. Why I I could see this being me so
2: (laughs) good weird
0: start so phil had noticed that so every time the trunk opens like there's a light show something seems to come out and he notices these leaves all over the place and this guy phil is just desperate to get these leaves and they're like no 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 he's like just hold on to my ankles i'm just gonna (laughs) reach in and i'm gonna grab a few and he grabs them he's starting to grab them and what is it like another flash goes off, or something startles him?
2: It's that when he touches them, they it, like it hisses oh, they hiss
0: and like they're disintegrating, and they're like turning. Yeah, they start to rot, white and kind of like milky. Gross. And so he has this reaction where he realizes later he like clenched his fists and he balled up a few of these leaves in his hand, and they pull him out. And the the part that Fucked me up a little bit was that he was saying for a very, very long time after that, there were often times where he could not touch food with his hand. If his wife made him a sandwich, he would he would keep it in the wrapper and then like dump the last bite from the wrapper into his mouth without touching it because he just couldn't stand the thought of putting something that had been in his hand that had touched those leaves into his mouth, even after a lot of time had passed.
1: Yeah. Oh, fucking Uh, terrific. I can't imagine the thought process that would make you touch anything that came out of that car. (laughs) Uh, Ignoring the fact that it comes from another world and could be potentially toxic everything that is described just looks so fucking gross (laughs) that i would i think there are characters that say i would rather fucking die than be in the room when someone else started to touch
0: didn't one say i would rather shoot my own mother
1: yeah (laughs) yeah something (laughs) like that it's
2: uh now uh so this is the point we're back in present That Ned asks what's next, and Sandy reflects on just, you know, these are all these things that happened to everybody. Oh, this is
0: where we were we're talking about the context was important and Ned wasn't understanding that. He was just impatient like his father.
2: Yeah. That Mm -hmm. he's Sandy feeling like he's not seeing these stories as a gift, but a debt to be paid.
0: Did you guys agree Mm -hmm. with that? Because Sandy himself agrees that he's like he's mad about it, but he's like, but I was partially mad because he was right. Did you feel like I he don't, was right?
2: I don't know that I get that I agree that Ned should get the story, but I don't agree that it's owed to him.
0: Uh
1: the what I took away is the reason Sandy was mad and, and it's the same reason I would be incredibly annoyed is that this kid is not getting why he's telling this story and the story seems to be the moral of the story is there's nothing to get there is there is not going to be a satisfying answer at the end of this i think at one point he sandy says stop looking for the what does he say stop looking for the punchline. line mm-hmm. there, yeah. there's not going to be one there's i'm not this story is not going to end with and then we found out that this thing was blank it's not going to happen. And I'd be annoyed too. Like if I was telling the story that was like, that was constantly like all these crazy things happened. There's no way we could ever know why or how. Mm -hmm. And if a kid was like, well, hurry up and get through the story. So you can get to the part where you tell me why and
0: how I'd be
1: like, shut up. I, there is none.
0: I feel like, I feel like the writing in, in, Reading things primarily from Sandy's perspective has kind of skewed me against Kurt and Ned a little bit and in favor of Sandy. Like when you were talking earlier about the way Kurt is and whether we agree with his argument or not, I feel a little bit biased against him just because he seems like such a frustrating character, which is weird because normally I'd be like, oh, he's the one with the curiosity, the one I want to follow. He's the one who wants answers,
1: It's also a problem for me with the story structure, honestly, because we spent the entire first third of the book, Kurt was talked about in kind of, well, he was only talked about in the, it's so sad he's dead, oh my god, wouldn't it be, uh, it's so too bad, it would be so much better if he was still alive, he was such a great guy, and then everything that we've been reading for the past hundred pages was like, he was kind of annoying and he was obsessive and kind of a jerk when it came to this subject. I don't know. He- it, it seems like it's the the dislike for him when the beginning of the book he was talked about so glowingly feels a al- little like king is this is gonna make me sound like such a dipshit because of course this is what happening is happening it feels like king is making it up as he goes along (laughs) which which is what writing is i understand that but also like it it doesn't feel entirely natural if that makes sense
2: is it that these things about kurt come out when it's about the buick but he they, they talk about that he was a great cop, he was he had a, a mind for the job, so maybe mm-hmm. this stuff is the exception and not the rule. For yeah, Kurt. but
0: we're just not getting okay. the other stuff, we're only seeing the exception.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, that that makes sense. Uh, yeah, let's jump to the dissection. Guys, uh-huh. we've been waiting. Kurt has been reading biology books and he's been dissecting things in his own free time at home.
0: Poor wife. <laughs> Poor wife.
2: Uh, and
0: I would, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, maybe it's just because I'm jaded and I listen to too much true crime. At this point, I would be like, oh, fuck. My cop husband's turned into a serial killer cop. He's dissecting <laughs> stuff, <laughs> he's getting weird. <laughs>
1: Oh god. I think that's a very fair (laughs) assumption. (laughs) Right. It's it's weird. It's a strange hobby to
0: never have. And then all of a sudden you're like, I really want to know about taxidermy. Why?
2: (laughs) No. (laughs) When they get in this room, Kurt lays down the law though, that he is in charge when these doors are closed, because he's the one been that's been doing the prep. They've got a camera, a mic, they've got everything to capture all of this. They start with the leaves because that's the least interesting thing and shocking no one. It brings them no information. The
0: leaves are just jizz.
2: Right. They're just bulges.
0: Yeah. Uh, Thanks, Stephen King. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Now for the bat thing. Uh, What jumped at me first was the fact that when they pin it up, they can see that it no longer resembles anything they can imagine. Uh, We talked about like the beak nose thing, but it also has no feet. Its body ends at the butt. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick question CM where do you think the balls are
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, What? I,
2: I, if, if anything is going to have balls on top
0: I know I'm, I am was you asked me and I'm like oh my gosh what which episode was that because people are going to think this is so out of left field okay.
1: I I entirely forgot about that bit and I just thought that was a real weird question to bring only up apropos for me. Of nothing
0: and you asked the only female on the podcast right. well yeah the balls have to be on top where God intended them according to my young mind <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, like they wouldn't be uh, squished up there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that tracks. Uh, so I, this is uh, completely uh, a way that no one in the world but me experienced this book. But I do want to point out that um, the first thing that comes out of the car, I mentioned earlier, I was really excited when I thought that they were just going to not try to explain it. Well, I've been listening to the audiobook and once they go back in and they are like, they start to describe what they can about it. I immediately ADHD brained away and was like, oh, I'm so disappointed that they're actually telling us what it looks like. And that lasted long enough that I completely missed the description of what it looks like. That's and so I went, Oh, it all worked out for the best. Yeah. <laughs> so when we got to this scene, everything that they described was insane to me. I was like, wait, what?
0: This is one of I, the best descriptions that King has done of horrible things you can't imagine. And we've covered it. Like this, yeah. honestly, this tops that. And, and my I've, I didn't have to pause anything in it because it was making me nauseous.
2: All right. Yeah. You know what? For the sake of all of us, I'm just going to burn yeah, through
0: d- oh, please.
2: the description so that we, we can just take it all in and then talk about Bullet. it. So he cuts into it. Black goo leaks out and there's a green mass that could either be a lung or a brain. When he tries to cut the green organ free, it pops, hisses, and withers like the leaves, releasing that same smell, Kurt then stabs the single eyeball and it is followed by deflating and withering and a cotton candy esque pink material bulges Uh, out of the socket and then mm -hmm. liquefies. They conclude in the lower gut. And uh, if you haven't had a nightmare yet, here it comes. There's a bluish gray sack that he cuts open and pellets start dropping to the floor membranes with a single eye frozen open Sandy uh, does what the uh, only option is and flies into hysterics and throws up all over
0: himself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, wasn't there uh, something I, Wow, guys. spongy described too?
2: I might have blocked out that trauma. It's just well, things so like it,
0: popping and, and sponge descriptions the, oh, and yeah. sacks always oh, get me.
1: So gross. The thing that got me, the thing that made me go, oh, I hate this was the cotton candy yeah the, when he pierces something and something that is described as like cotton candy or insulation like fibrous material and way too much of it mm-hmm. sprays out and and that's also the stuff that they say smells like what was it the the peppermint,
0: peppermint and 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 cabbage. And cabbage like rotten cabbage,
1: cabbage. Ah, uh, huh. it's so disgusting to me, and that the that it's responded to. Oh no, it's just pressurization. Yeah, they peer, uh, the or it's depressurized, and that's why it expanded so much. It's so gross to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, I, it's I unfathomable. Can't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, it's so unnatural. It's. If I ever saw something that was ever living explode into cotton candy, I would maybe never eat again.
0: I'd go away.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Amen. They spend, after they calm down, they
2: spend like the next hour cleaning up. And reflecting on it later, Sandy realizes that that's when the magic of this whole thing broke for Kurt. That there would not be answers. That from here on out, it would be mundane. And it just...
0: That'd be it. I thought this part was really fascinating. Just considering mm. everything Kurt has done and the way he's behaved, we're talking about, you know, seeing his behavior in the extreme, primarily in these flashbacks, these retellings. That he had this moment was surprising to me.
1: Yeah, it brings me back to what the fuck was he expecting? What was he expecting to open this thing up and find and make that that would make him go, oh, yeah, I get this. Like, I think he was hoping to find
2: enough of a bat inside the (laughs) bat thing. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a uh, just a mention here that Kurt mentions that it's good they were wearing masks because the little sack exploded and none of the black stuff got into their mouths and that'd be pretty bad. And then apparently he was right. Is the teaser there?
0: <laughs> yeah, they when they shower later, their eyes are all bloodshot, like they'd been fighting a fire. Mm-hmm. So that it was good. They wore. <laughs> it was weird reading about masks. Honestly, this virus is like masks aren't much good for keeping the germs out, but yeah. probably That's... saved our lives. <laughs> what <laughs> you've just just described, America?
1: <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. Jesus. No. And- <laughs> it adds into the anti-science sentiments of this book mm-hmm. that uh, we shouldn't be bothering trying to learn about this because it's just beyond our explanation, which I guess it, it's beyond yours because you're a policeman and <laughs> this isn't your job. All right. So next we
2: have the the fish. God. Boy, I can't wait to talk about the fish. But before we do... Sandy tries one more time to give him like a rundown of the personal lives and the job outside of these events. And and he, that's when he, he realizes Ned's just not going to hear it. He's He just wants to hear these things. And I feel like it's considering the hold the Buick had on his dad. I feel like the story is turning into a slippery slope.
0: I felt like that from the moment they started telling him the story. I think I mentioned that last episode. <laughs> I have a horrible feeling, I think it's a bad idea to share this with this grieving kid who who can't control his impulses, for one thing, because he's still a kid. And who, as Sandy himself, I think has foreshadowed, he's mentioned, that Ned does not have the uniform like Kurt had to ground him. And I, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I'm just, I'm really worried <laughs> about how it's going to end up.
2: Let's get to 1983, the year of the fish. We find out that from 79 to 83, Kurt would occasionally feed the Buick animals when the temperature dropped,
1: which was a very hit or miss results wise. It's another thing that he he's doing this as like he's still experimenting to Mm -hmm. see what what the Buick will do. But it is further cementing that this dude doesn't know what the fuck he is doing. There is no rhyme or reason behind what he does. He puts gerbils in a cage in the front seat. He puts two frogs in a cage Mm. under the car. There's, there's never a control. There is (laughs) never any like thought put into, okay, we're going to put the hamsters in every position in the, and see if it reacts differently, depending on where they are. There's no, Mm. we're going to, it's, he's just doing stuff to do stuff. It's, it's not science. <laughs> well, this is this is
2: kind of what uh, we hinted at earlier. In 82, it was when he tried the box of cockroaches, and then four days later, mm-hmm. the cockroaches were all over the place because they checked it, and there was a bullet-sized circular hole that had appeared in the side of the cage mm-hmm. with no other signs of distress.
0: And that's it. That's all we that's get it. from that. What? Now, I, I need to know what that is. Hold on, Josh. Go back. <laughs> What is I, it? That's all I have, CM. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. It is June,
2: 1983. The temperature has dropped 10 degrees inside the shed just this morning. By the time Kurt arrives, which is not soon after, it's dropped another three degrees. Something is going to happen. Sandy, poor bastard, is the acting SC <laughs> today. And the radios start to go. It's the worst static they've ever had. In a genius move, he sends Matt Babicki in a car down the road with a radio so that his uh, his officers can actually make calls in if they need to. Mm-hmm. Very smart. And the crowd gathers because people know that a code D is happening. And this is this experiment. Kurt puts in uh, what, grasshopper, a frog, and flowers in the trunk. Mm-hmm. And he even takes Mr. Dylan around the car and the lights begin and the fact that it is described as the glow becomes an explosion that darkened the sun and made the shed look transparent
0: they could see the nails in the wood it was so bright i can't even imagine that and kurt's standing there staring into the shed and sandy has to like pull him away and close the door and yell at him (laughs)
2: I love that he's timed. He's like doing it timed though. He's looking in
1: and then right before a flash comes, he turns his head away.
0: That did impress me.
1: Uh, That did make me wonder. I'm like, are they setting up that this get like this guy is becoming so in sync with the car that he can sense
0: them now. Hey, the last guy who in theory became that in sync with the car got turned into a garbage bag
1: what <laughs> oh, the, the guy yes. from the gas station oh god see him? jesus
0: christ <laughs> yeah well, yeah no
1: like i i mean it's nothing that we've been given evidence for but what if this thing is like trying to make uh, Kurt it's new i yeah. don't know it's like a
0: symbiotic relationship its new dad yeah <laughs> yeah
1: um uh,
2: every car boy needs a car dad uh <laughs> When everything stops, Kurt is back with the rope around himself. And Sandy asks the question we've been asking the whole book. Uh, why is Kurt risking so much for a Buick when he has a wife and potentially a baby on the way?
0: I liked the I don't know why I liked this. I liked the maybe baby thing. Yeah. Because he That was cute. Yeah, he it was just showing that Kurt's at like that time in his life, just a a normal time that many people go through that he should be he should be focused on that. And not messing around with this car.
2: But here we are. <laughs> Kurt goes in. The crickets are fine. The frog is blind. And the flowers are frozen. <laughs> Fucking A. Sure. Uh, next, we get to George Morgan, who we have not talked about, even though he's been referenced several times because he has a very sad story. Mm. Um, but he came by to fill up uh, his gas and took a peek. Into Shed B, and he was about to walk away when there was a thud that seemed
0: like it was coming from inside the trunk. Did you guys think it was going to be Ennis? I did not. (laughs) That would have been cool. It's been like four years, I think, they said, since he disappeared.
1: Yeah. I don't remember whether I mentioned this theory last episode, but once the thing came out, I think it was this part, I, I did have the brief thought that Ennis disappeared. And this thing came out of the car. And I had the absolute horrible thought, what if the car didn't trade Ennis? What if it took him and gave him back?
0: Whoa! Ooh, it transformed him.
1: Oh, God, that's fucked up. Yeah, I don't that's... think it holds. No, I don't, I don't cool. think it uh, actually fits. But when the first thing came out, I do remember thinking, like, oh, mm-hmm. Christ, they... Uh, what if? What if? What the if the thing <laughs> from the trunk is? Yeah,
0: it's just yeah. making Ennis things <laughs> that we don't recognize oh, that they're dissecting. God. That would have been a different story too if if that had happened, or if he had come out of the trunk after four years.
2: Right. Oh, oh. Jesus! George acts quickly. He runs in and gets Sandy. They come back out and they they hear the thump all together. But this time the trunk lid pops open and the fish comes out.
0: I do, okay. I missed the first time through that the fish was the size of a sofa. Yeah. It was bigger than the trunk. And I, when I read that earlier today, I was like, what?
2: That it, yeah, it, just <laughs> pours, it pours out an impossible amount of fish. And of it, singular fish.
0: And it's got like tentacles that... Aren't quite tentacles, but also don't quite look like clumps of hair and then have these Uh, black things like these black bulbs on the end that remind him of shrimp, like eye stalks. Uh, Shrimp head with too many eyes. Yeah, it's like a mass of still breathing,
1: Or it's trying to breathe. That freaked me out. Like the car is trying to create something that can be viable here. Every time it creates something new, it dies instantly. But this one is struggling to survive. Well,
0: they've been feeding what it if, DNA.
1: Yeah. What if next time the thing that comes out can breathe? Right. Fuck.
0: <laughs> Shoot it. <laughs>
1: uh,
2: it. They can't get to it, though, because it starts cutting open and goo starts coming out. It starts hissing and rupturing. Like the leaves did, and it becomes the steam inside is so thick they can't even see the Buick.
0: And it has a it has that same smell, the peppermint and rotten cabbage, mm-hmm. but also the smell of salt. So the Buick pulled something from the ocean of this world where these things are coming from.
2: The next day they go in and they clean everything out. And Kurt is furious, of course, about not being called in for this. And Sandy tries to explain to him that, like, hey, man, you were out on a date with your wife. Like, you have a life to live. This can't be your only thing. And it escalates. And the way he brings it back to not turning into a fistfight is by telling him about the smell being the same. And Kurt's like, yeah,
0: cool. (laughs) Well, he kind of makes a joke of it. He says something kind of silly, and it makes them both laugh.
2: All right, we're we're coming to the end of this section, and we're back in the present uh they've stopped the story so ned can go call in and lie to his mom just like his dad had been doing for years
0: and that's not that's not you that's what the yeah. book says yeah <laughs> just to be clear
2: <laughs> sandy goes into the bathroom and when he comes out everyone is crowded around Shedby. and just like his father ned is the last to tear himself away to come back to this conversation See, that's
0: some foreshadowing that really worries me <laughs>
2: Sandy reflects on asking Kurt in 1986, what he was proudest of. And he answered the uniform. It was that, Lame. <laughs> that the answer was honest and terrifying.
0: <sighs>
2: it just, yeah,
1: what a fucking, dork. it's
2: so sad. I feel like <laughs> Ned says, he doesn't want to know about this in between shit. He just wants the Buick. Let's get to it. And Sandy expresses like he's had enough. And is saying, like, it's dangerous to only absorb the story and not acknowledge the chains that tie the story to their lives and the lives of everyone in Troop D. Because mm-hmm. without that, there is nothing to ground yourself. Like CM said, he didn't have the uniform. So we're finally getting the importance that Sandy's putting on this for Ned of you need to, if you're going to carry the knowledge, you have to carry everything, mm-hmm. I feel like. And we end this section by Sandy mentioning that the man in the cowboy boots and everyone elicits this response of like, we don't talk about the man in the cowboy boots. Not the initials I was going for, but Billy Lip- <laughs> or Brian Lippi Brian Lippi is who we will find out about as this story will take place at the beginning of next episode. And that's it for this reading. I
0: don't know how we keep ending on these wild cliffhangers. <laughs> right? Jesus. <laughs> And that is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time where we will be finishing the book. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander reminding you, while curiosity is a provable fact, satisfaction is more like a rumor. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to From a Buick 8, Part 2. We hope you enjoyed it. We have some exciting events coming up in the very near future that I want to share with you. Last summer, we collaborated with Nerd Speak Brewery for our Room 217 Cherry Cheesecake Berliner Weisse Slushy. People loved the event and beer so much that we decided to get together again to collaborate on another tapping. Join us Friday, January 13th for Misery's Return, a cranberry orange spiced wheat beer served with a flash of orange zest fire and the most beautiful Annie Wilkes owning the room artwork on our signature black cans. Come have a beer with us at 5 p.m. Central and get your photo taken with Annie Wilkes. And we have a live virtual show coming up on Friday, January 20th. Join us online at 8 p.m. Central for Dairy Fight Night Part 2. If you missed the first one, that's okay. You don't have to have seen it, but here's what you need to know. We used WWE 2K22 to create custom characters of ourselves and our favorite king protagonists and antagonists to face off in a custom Dairy Public Radio wrestling ring. And the best part, we are continuing to make this live show free to all of you. So come join us on the 13th for Misery's Return and tune in on the 20th for Dairy Fight Night, Part 2, Rivals. You can find more information about these events on our Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio. And don't forget to also follow us on Twitter at Dairy Public. You can email us at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And as always, check out our Etsy store for fun merchandise and our Patreon for early releases of our episodes and bonus episodes that you can get at the $5 and up tier. Your support on our Patreon helps us keep our show going and we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.